Radio. It's one of my favorite scenes in Ghostbusters, you know, when Slimer hits Bankman and he lays on the ground and he goes, he slimed me. Because to me, I always thought, like, as I got older, I was like, is that, is that a cum joke? Like, I feel like it's a cum joke. And then I was like, oh, man, like, with, with, with you know, Ghostbusters Afterlife having so many callbacks, they didn't have one where any, where any of the kids got slimed. And then I thought about it and I went, that's right. It's a cum joke. You cannot have a cum joke about prepubescent kids getting slimed. Otherwise, unless you do it extremely, nope, nope, subtly, nope. The pe- I, I can see the pedophilia memes already. Welcome to Super Movie Brothers. Let's start the show. Super Movie Bros. I'm your host, Super Movie Brother Dave. I am your host, Super Movie Brother Jay. And uh, yeah, man, it's a real busy fucking week, man. It's, it's uh, obviously it's a holiday week. You know, we got Thanksgiving coming up, uh, so uh, I, me and Lauren have been cooking, getting ready for that. Uh, obviously, your week before, you know, the the week before you go uh, on on holiday. In the mm-hmm. state, like it's it's just always crazy. Like it's a shit show. Everyone's just yeah. trying to. Every single customer you have or every interaction you have is everyone's uh, like, "Am I going to get this done by the holiday?" I was like, "You and everybody else." Yeah, it's not going to happen. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> just like you, I take a holiday. So, uh, but it was busy for movies as well because tonight we both saw King Richard and I, you saw House of Gucci, which I hope you talk about ever so fucking briefly. And then uh, we watched Hawkeye. And then we also have a review. You saw Hawkeye. Unfortunately, I was not able to watch the first two episodes of Hawkeye. And then uh, we got a review for Ghostbusters Afterlife, Mm -hmm. which is my most anticipated film of 2021 and 2020. And now it's finally here. And it's nice because this is the first week where I'm not hearing people talk a lot about (laughs) Spider-Man. Because for the past two weeks, like, Spider-Man has just been dominating everything. But now, of course, Hawkeye's out. So people are like, oh, does this take place post-Spider-Man? And we'll, we'll talk about that when we, when we break down Hawkeye a little bit. But, Jay, let's get started with you with What Are You Watching? What are you watching? What are we watching? She's trying to watch some illegal channel. Oh, ain't watching. No, 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 go past this. Past this part. In fact, never play this again. I want you to get started with House of Gucci because I want this out of the fucking way. I, I want it away from me because I can't stand Ridley Scott anymore. I love it. I, and I, I, I love how like personal you're taking this. <laughs> he has these statements now before this movie came out. Yes. Because The Last Duel was an absolute bomb. Never mind the fact that it was a boring historical drama uh, that came out in, during a pandemic. I, like October was a very fruitful month for Hollywood in, in the theaters with with Venom and uh, you know uh, Eternals and Shang-Chi the month before that. So I guess like Ridley Scott's seeing that and he's thinking like oh, it's about fucking time. It's fucking healthy. I can't wait to release this movie. I can't wait for my next Oscar nomination. Just shower me with praise. All the people are going to want to see it. Except those fucking millennials who can't get off their fucking cell phones. Pretty much. And that's what he said. That's and, what he's blaming and, it on. And, and for me, I think for that movie in particular, it just came out the wrong time. Yeah. First off, millennials. It should have came out around now. Millennials and not were in the born. Summer. Millennials were born in the 80s and the 90s. 
I think he's thinking about Gen Zers, uh, but you whatever. Know, he just matter. he just hears the buzzwords <laughs> and he just he just uses all he them. does is work. So he doesn't he doesn't have a good sense of touch within what, clearly not right society and everything like that. And now, granted, I did listen to the podcast when he said that quote unquote quote on Mark Maron's on podcast. Mark Maron's podcast, and yeah. it doesn't come across as hasty as as, as you know. And please, everybody. But go listen to Mark Maron's podcast with Ridley Scott on it. So, you however, can, he, you can hear that I, he sounds nothing like I make him sound. <laughs> <laughs> not that far off, though. I must it's say, it's pretty far. Off. Not that far off at all. He's he, he mumbles more, way more. Yeah, yeah. He's a mumbling Brit, yeah. and um, but he definitely loves his movies. He loves oh, everything that he ever has made. I guess that's like the only thing you career. can say. Like in, in you know, it, it's like it doesn't matter whether you liked one of his movies or disliked one of his movies. That dude loves all of his movies, and it's not your problem. It, you know, it's it's not his problem that you didn't like his mm-hmm. movie. His yeah. movie was great. You're the problem for not liking it. You're you're not far off. Yeah, that's <laughs> like that's essentially what it is. It's, and and you know with, with this dude. movie it, it's it's another tale of that you know what okay first off with last duel it's a it's a, it's a solidly done movie is like, they the made first... the movie that they wanted to make however it's not a movie that is an an enjoyable watch is this nor first... is it a movie that people want to go seek out and watch i just want to is this the first podcast he's ever done like did he, did we have I, did know, we have to have the conversation? There's a good chance of that. Did Mark Maron have to have the conversation with Grandpa that like this is what a podcast is? Well, ki- <laughs> kind of. To be honest, kind of, sort of, because it ended with an awkward like, "Have we ever met?" You know, because you thought like for some for some reason he's met Mark and he. Obviously but what's funny has is not. it's a it's a medium that's listened to by millennials, and he's there on it complaining about millennials. <laughs> Yeah, but he doesn't know that. He doesn't know. He's just told what to do. He's like, oh, this is a new marketing campaign. We got to talk to these podcast people. <laughs> All right, let me go shoot the he shit. He doesn't even know who's... Yeah, but he, he's but no- a podcaster is the same thing as any other news journalist. You're you're speaking into a microphone. Boom. Being asked questions. Boom. That's it. I mean, However, Mark, Mark Maron used to be Mark, an actor, but now he's a journalist, I suppose. No, no, no. He's a comedian who's trying to get into acting, but has been doing podcasting more than he's been acting Anyway, so what does so, that make Joe Rogan, a TV host who who now is a podcaster? Like, what? Do we yeah, see? pretty much. And and pretty now, much. And now political and hosting. And now sign. political pundit on top of that. Wow, that's that's <laughs> that's media stirring that up. But anyway, uh, but anyway, Mark Mark just he, all he does is start from the beginning. He likes to just talk about your life and just kind of go from there. That's essentially his shtick. But for Anyway, I anyway. grew up with a drunk father who beat the shit out of me. So I'm a drunk person who beats the shit out of people who don't like my fucking movies. And every time I see a millennial with their cell phone in their fucking face, I want to turn it sideways and shove it straight up their candy fucking ass. <laughs> and can you see why I'm so fucking angry? Fuck yeah. <laughs> House of Gucci is interesting because there's a lot of things going on in this. Okay. Yeah. And not just that. It's an. It's two hours and 37 minutes. Oh, fucking hell. And you feel all extra 37 minutes of that because it should have been a two-hour movie. And it's based on a true story, right? So it's it just it simply follows the Gucci family. It's like every movie has to be the length of Adam Driver's right. nose. <laughs> from, from, right, from the late 70s up until... So wait, um, this is also Adam Driver, right? Yeah. So like he literally finished filming The Last Duel and then like probably went somewhere for like a week or so and then came right back on set with Ridley Scott, who is notoriously yeah. a terrible director to work for being an actor. Don't get me wrong. He'll get a great performance yeah, from you. He sticks with his guys. He sticks with Russell yeah. Crowe, you know, Jody. Uh, Fuck. 
the the girl from Last Duel is going to be in this next movie. I don't think I can handle it. I don't know if I can. Ha- I don't know if I can handle being on set with like Ridley Scott. Well, like- he's a legacy filmmaker, and he has. There's not many of them anymore. Put it that way. And he's one of the guys that actually puts out the most content of these legacy, quote unquote, prestige filmmakers. Okay. You know. But right. anyway, so this. You know, so, so 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 it's like a gay experience in college. Everybody has to have one. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. It's like Woody Allen, right? <laughs> you have to work with you have to work with him at least once. It's just yeah, exactly. I think I think it's one of those type of tales. <laughs> a great ensemble. I mean, he put together a great cast. However, it does, and and maybe it's on purpose because every character is very boisterous and unique. Okay, it doesn't quite fit this movie. And I know what they're trying to accomplish with this, and to some level, it, it, it works. But it is a banal movie. The color palette, Ooh. the cinematography banal, is very says, stale. It's very stale, and unfortunately, it doesn't grab you and well and push you along. All of Ridley Scott throughout this whole movie. All, the way you're describing, like all of Ridley Scott's movies are like that. We talked about that in the last duel. It's very stark. It's gray. It's dark. It's yeah, but it gloomy. fits the content of that movie. It fits the con- right when you this think of Gucci, Gucci, you think of glitz, you think of gold, you think of yeah. glamour, and, you think of- and you see some of that, but it's much more grounded. In reality, in some ways, and it doesn't hold that kind of boisterous flair because this should have been a lot more fun. This should have been a lot more fun of a movie throughout. Obviously, you're going to get to the the end where, you know, it's not really a big spoiler, but Adam Driver's character, Mauricio, gets killed by his wife, Lady, uh, Lady Gaga. Okay. And it kind of mainly follows them as a couple throughout the whole movie, but it's sprinkled in with all the other family members with Al Pacino and Jeremy Irons, Jared Leto, obviously kicked with makeup, does a very boisterous kind of performance. So it's However, a- from what I hear is it's pretty spot on from the actual guy. He was a fucking moron. But what I'm hearing from you is that it takes you a while to get there. You eventually get there, but the best part of this movie is no, when the it's over. The best part is the first two, mo- the, the first act or, t- or two. Is when it's over, though. It's when you get to get up out of that seat after two hours and 36 minutes it, and you get to it's, leave. It's, well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, this is not a good movie. And it's mainly because of Ridley Scott. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. It's way too long. It was well thought out. I understand the the process of like what they're trying to accomplish, but they should have made this movie instead of a serious type of fucking movie about the life of Gucci and how they fell apart to how they kind of, at the very end, came back to life from the thanks of Tom Ford and you know the falling out of the family itself and going public. And the death, it should have just been fun. You know, you didn't need all this. It, it did not work. It was way too long, and it ended up being way too boring. Um, but there's good stuff in it. But ultimately, quite disappointing, especially after the fun trailer that they presented to us. So I'm going to give this a C minus. Oh wow, that's 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 terribly low, terribly low. But um, I'm, I I I told you, you asked me if I was going to watch this over the weekend, and I was like, absolutely not. I would I would probably watch Red Notice again, and uh, I did it. Me and me and my wife did attempt to watch Red Notice. We tried, we tried. We got about halfway through. We got busy with Grayson, and then we realized the movie was still playing in the background. We didn't watch it. And I was like, do you want to rewind it? And she's like, no, let's just find something else. And I was like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, what I'm I'll tell you this. You know, I give Red Notice a D. 
and I still stand behind that. However, you'd rather watch that again than exactly, House of Gucci. Exactly. Wow. It's uh, it has more of uh, I guess a rewatchability. I guess. All right. So House of Gucci. Uh, I, I I knew that was something that I did not want to uh, did not want to sink my teeth into, especially like uh, after hearing Ridley Scott's comments. Because then I'm going to go in there and I'm going to not like it, and it's not because of his comments, but the whole time that I'm not liking it, I'm going to be thinking in my head that he thinks he's smarter than me, and that. That's why I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and that bothers me. It's it's just it was just mishandled. I want him to go away. Mishandled. I want no, I don't want him to go away. I want him to keep making Dude, movies. He's, no, no, he's, he's gonna a, make movies for, until he dies. He's a 100%. brilliant he's a brilliant filmmaker, so I don't want him to go away. I just want to shut the fuck up. I just want to shut the fuck up. And I can't wait and until he normally we t- does. Can't wait until <laughs> we talk about Hawkeye, because it's everything that that man hates. <laughs> being pushed and pandered in front of him and all the praise and all the accolades and all the money and everything goes towards these big superhero properties and i love it and i love it anyway uh jay before we get into hawkeye though we both saw king richard now this is uh the latest will smith film uh it's produced by him and also produced by venus and serena williams and it tells the story of richard williams the father of serena and venus williams and kind of like how he raised them from infancy to be champions and it's not just that he raised them to be champions it's not like you know they're five or six years old and he put a racket in their hands and he's just like let's go to work no he had a conversation with his wife about breeding champions Mm-hmm. That was their plan, was to make children that are champions. Their their oldest daughter was valid Victorian of her high school. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of his children went on to great praise and accolades throughout their lives. But Doctors, was, lawyers, yep. athletes. But you it was know. Serena and, not and just Venus. Any athletes, that got, but the got, best of the best. Right. That, that got the majority of the attention. And I, I do love the line where someone's like, you got the next Michael Jordan on your hands. He's like, no, I got two. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And, but like, it's it's so weird of a concept to think about because you think about well, when you people... You know what it reminded me of? Tiger Woods' story because it i does. knew tiger it's woods same story thing. it's exact same thing yeah, it's exact, exact same thing. thing yeah but it's well there was a, but they only had one kid around this time boy. in the early 90s when this story was like breaking on espn and stuff like that and do you remember who, this because i i vaguely do vaguely vaguely do. i remember when when she played anna kornikova for the first time and that, that was a big, oh, okay, anna okay. kornikova was a big deal back then sure she was, she was a 14 just or, because she was hot she was a no back then she was a 14 or 15 year old phenom and then it well, was when she it was when she got into like being 18 19 20 becoming a model and stuff like that and then all the fame that got to her, and that's definitely part Enrique of Enrique Iglesias' yeah. his dick. You know, it's, it's definitely. <laughs> and then she and then she chewed his mole off. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, they got together, and that was it. Her career was done. Yeah, and then and then when and he, but, however, they are still together, living in Miami, living the dreams, storing up all the good cocaine. It's all he, good. He emerges. <laughs> he emerges fourteen years later after dating uh, in re, uh, after dating Anna Kornikova and, and and being with her for that long. But he hadn't produced music in that long. But then the next time you see him, there's just no mole on his face, and I'm just like, dude, you were known for one thing and you got rid of it yeah now, now you look like just any other and, and you just look like any other guy yeah. i mean you're a good looking guy don't get me wrong but you were a good looking guy with with, with a fucking signature before yeah like now, the marilyn monroe mole now you're just any good looking guy in miami and you could throw a lot you could throw a stone and hit a lot of those uh but no but what i found like interesting was like the parallel to that like was tiger doing it first and then richard thought of it or was richard doing it first and then tiger's daddy thought of it you know i don't i don't know but there was like this thing going on at the time where there was parents who were like oh it, you know it's possible because tiger was on like tv national tv at like age four yeah yeah so he could have saw oh this this black family on tv you know he's gonna be a a golfer he's gonna break the mold in this white society and it's true they do touch on that because tiger broke the mold too in the golf world oh yeah 
uh, with the race aspect. And and but that was know, the entire idea was to break into a sport where the competition correct. was rich white people because it's just geared that way. Because the sport itself is engineered right. well, around if you being able these to girls, have money to be successful. If you wanted these girls to get into this. to 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 be in in most most other types of like collegiate sports and stuff like that, there's a lot of black athletes in a lot of different type of sports and stuff like that. But at the time, there was not a lot of black people, a lot of black kids and playing in tennis, Compton right? As well, and and, and playing, and not to mention the pay, like the amount of money you have to show out just to do these type of training camps and oh, stuff yeah. like that, and, so, and enter the tournaments, everything. So the movie is really about him and this plan and this idea, and you know he he never showed out. I'm sure. Look, don't get me wrong. There, this movie picks up when Serena and Venus are between the ages. I think they're ten, nine, nine and ten, because I think they're a year or two apart. And yeah. so, so they're like nine and ten. But and he already has the van. He already has like dozens of rackets. He already has the machine that fires the ball. So he has sunk some money into it. But the real money, the training and stuff like that, he plans on doing it for nothing. To pay nothing when other people pay quarter of a million dollars to have their kids go stay at one of these camps for for five years and well, learn from learn from these pros it's it's, he, it's him he had taking that time during the day for them to train right and then he's working overnight shifts so he's barely getting any kind of sleep and he's hustling and bustling and, and his wife is also doing the same working as a nurse and one of the cool things about the movie is not only is it him like you could very easily have turned this movie into here's this maniacal maniac who is essentially abusing his children into doing this but when you add the wife and she's completely in on it and she's she's I, all I, for I, it. I loved her, though, because they had a great dynamic and they had a lot of combative, um, yeah. healthy arguments with between spouse and being parents. Oh, with Without that, like I said, this movie would have been about a narcissistic asshole. With, and he's not far off from that right. to some degree. But what I'm saying <laughs> is with, without that dynamic of him and his wife to check him, to put him in check. Correct. And, and for the audience, too, to remind exactly. you, like, hey, look. You know, yeah, you're not wrong. She gets it. Yeah, you know, exactly. he, he's he's not all you know, sunshine and rain. There's exactly know, whatever sunshine and beer. Um, so so look, I <laughs> um, I really I really dug I really dug this movie. I I I love look. First it was up, surprising for me. I was surprised. I was Will, not expecting him to like this as much as I did. Will Smith was fantastic. He yeah. really was. I he, give him a lot of credit. He was great. I watched interviews with uh with with Richard Williams sure. and stuff like that. Yeah, he doesn't sound like him, but the cadence he fucking nails. Yeah, he nails the yeah, cadence. That, that weird slunch thing. Uh, yeah, he, he, he just is there. Yeah, is a demeanor. He, about he him. nailed the cadence. And look, I think I, I I think the concept that they set up, the planet they set up, and the girls gives, were fantastic. By the way, all the kids that were casted, were, uh, oh, so good. But this movie gives you a really great like first and second act because you you hear about the plan in the first act and you're seeing it start to be enacted in the second act you watching know, it grow and then how it shifts it happens to the, make the step and then yeah, make the real big step why are you that. clapping the audio oh. picks that up jesus christ well that's not a bad thing <laughs> yes it is why no one wants to hear your claps but anyway um w- where this movie kind of let me down was like that third act so Oh, the third act is kind of uh, is it, it's it's Venus Williams' first time. Oh, the, the tournament on the court, one, yeah. and it was boring. When you have a sports movie and you're leading up to this one thing, you're leading up to the championship. You know, the Mighty Ducks are going for it. You know, or or, or you know, it's Major League and and they're independent game and stuff like that. You want that to be exciting. You you want you want the miracle on ice, or you want this. You want the that. problem is the director didn't know how to shoot. Yeah, a tennis sports movie. This 
was like it, he it was, knew how to shoot a drama, but not a tennis sport it, movie. The the entire the entire last last twenty thirty minutes of this movie is her first tournament as an adult on the pro circuit, and it was not shot dynamically at all. Yeah, it, it it's was very it's, extremely yeah, boring. We're yeah, we're we're yeah. cutting from the supposed tension on the court, and all we're really looking at is Venus, uh, the girl playing Venus Williams' face, like up close. Like we're not we're not really seeing the action. And I wasn't feeling like when you watch tennis and 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 these women are hitting the ball back and forth. The reason there's that audible ah behind it is because. Like that's how much effort is exuded. I was not feeling that when I was watching them go back and forth, like at all. I was, I was not in, feeling I was very, the dynamic. Like I, I noticed that you barely. They didn't give their signature yells. Yeah, at and, all. And and maybe they didn't develop them yet. I'm not sure. And maybe that's something that's that's paying. That, Perhaps, that's, but. That so that's my issue with it. Do I think do, do I think Will Smith is great in it? Absolutely. The girls are great in it. The the, the story is great. It's it's extremely interesting. It poses you know it poses a lot of questions. I loved and, it. And it, yeah, it was answers great. a lot of things. I thought John Bernthal was fucking fantastic. <laughs> so fucking good. It's so weird to see John I, Bernthal. I, I couldn't believe he pulled that off. I couldn't believe he pulled. It's it off. weird to see John Bernthal as a beta male. Is what it is. Yeah, he kind of is. He's not the alpha male. He he has to put on that that. It's it's not. It's like a it's like a sales guy, sh- like shtick to some degree. Right, but it's not. But, it's the, the, but he doesn't have the deep tough guy voice. Like he's oh, yeah, yeah. he's he's kind of like I don't want to say lisp, but but like he has it. Like it's a very high pitched voice, nasally voice. It's he, a very nasally voice for him. He could potentially. Come on, Richard. Come on, potentially be. Come on, Richard. We're not ever going to get another deal like this. Three I, million before they've even seen a play. Yeah. Richard, come on. There, there, <laughs> he could be gay. It's possible. They don't touch on that. Obviously, he's just. He's a businessman. No, it doesn't matter. He's yeah. a famous guy, um, but he plays this guy. But it's weird. Perfectly. See, I'm just saying, it's weird seeing him as a beta male. Is all I'm very saying. much. So. I know, but he, but some, that's what I'm saying. But it's at the weirdest part about but it is he pulled it off. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, I mean, this was job. an A minus movie for me. I really enjoyed this movie a lot. I'm a B. Um, I'm a B I plus. Not, I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. Yeah, I'm a B plus. And I thought they pulled it uh, off really well. And of course, the barrier for entry is pretty low because by the time you hear this, you'll still have about two and a half weeks to watch it on HBO Max, where it's where it's currently playing, and also in theaters. Uh, so if you're still going out to the theaters, and you know, you you are able to see it there, but definitely a movie that, that that's worth your time. But again, a sports movie that kind of like let me down a little bit, like. After this was done, my suggestions uh, on HBO were to watch uh, were to watch the Muhammad Ali documentary, like the four or five episode documentary series they did on HBO. And I watched that, and I was like, "Now that is a dynamic athlete." <laughs> uh, so, all right, Jay, uh, let's get in to Hawkeye because uh, we got to save some time here on the back end to get ourselves, a, you know, a, a good discussion going for Ghost, Ghostbusters Afterlife. But uh, first, Hawkeye.
man, I can do this all day. <laughs> Talk about Marvel. I really could. Uh, <laughs> but that's just a little bit. Uh, I decided instead of playing the trailer, I would just play the. That'll the, be your third podcast. Yeah, I, it was the awesome music uh, that is that <laughs> that is part of the Rogers the musical, which is uh, in the very first episode of Hawkeye. So, uh, so Hawkeye is is it's following Hawkeye, and this is what's interesting. Two years after the events of Endgame, so. Other than Loki, which takes place the furthest out. Oh, two years after. Okay. Two, two years after Endgame. Loki takes place the furthest out in the timeline because Loki goes to the end of times. <laughs> so so that's the furthest out in the timeline that we've ever gone. But as far as like the stories go, this is the furthest out in the timeline we've been. This takes place after Spider-Man No Way Home. Because it's two years. So this is, I believe this is like Christmas 2025 or 2026. So they're, they're, but they're, oh, so they're going into the future. Well, they've been in the future, technically. Mm. Remember, in, in Avengers Endgame, it was that they went to 2022 or 2023. I did not remember that. Five, it, it was a big deal. They killed Thanos, and it says five years later. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not doing math. <laughs> well, that came out, <laughs> came out in 2018, so five years is 2023. Uh, so this is Christmas 2025. Uh, and, and because Clint missed five years with his children and his entire adult life he has been an agent of shield uh an avenger you know he he's been away from home on these missions on yeah. these uh, so he he's missed and time he's a family kids. man they right. established that so he he's taking the time now in a time when the avengers aren't needed or at least an archer <laughs> isn't needed uh to to spend time with his kids in new york so his wife has stayed at home and he takes the kids to new york while there uh he sees on the news that a familiar face has returned and it's it's that of ronin and it's that ronin's the outfit that he wore in endgame to kill all the mobsters and they kind of get into the backstory that during that five years before he was in japan killing yakuza before he was in mexico killing cartel he was in new york cleaning up the streets of new york so he's basically now reminded of that time when he was a, a, a murderous vigilante and he sees this woman on tv wearing the ronin outfit uh, now before we get that we actually get a lot of kate bishop's backstory she was a little girl rich girl lived in a high rise um her mother and father were fighting and on that day that that her mother and father were fighting and there was talk that they would have to sell their their penthouse and stuff like that. The Chitari attack and it is the very first Avengers movie. And right outside her window, she sees Hawkeye fighting off a massive amount of Chitari and then that that shot that we always see in all the sizzle reels of Hawkeye jumping off, flipping back and shooting the grappling hook. Um, you know, now uh, let me ask you this. Was this reshot? No, this, they, some this of it, original content from the, the some, previous movie. Some of it was, okay. Some okay. of it was original. Okay. And some of it was reused footage from, from Avengers. The wow. first one. So, okay. So Kate Bishop is now, she decides at that moment that she wants to be a superhero and she wants to be like Hawkeye. She asks her mom to buy her a bow and arrow after they get back from her father's funeral. And we kind of get a montage of her training. She's a multiple degree black belt in multiple disciplines. Um, and she is a champion archer and also a two-time state fencing champion, which will come in handy with uh, one of the villains that we get introduced to. So from there, now Hawkeye has to chase down this Ronin, and he runs into Kate Bishop, who just broke up a black market, uh, you know, sale uh, auction 
black market auction. And while doing so, she runs into the tracksuit bros. Now, these are the dudes that are, bro, 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 bro. You fuck with me, bro. So <laughs> she runs into them, uh, and Hawkeye runs into them. And Hawkeye had some run-ins with them when he was Ronin. So he explains to her how dangerous it is that she has this outfit. And this is where the two team up. And that is truly the heart of the show. It is Hawkeye, who is not an approachable person. He's not someone who wants to be approached by people. It makes him uncomfortable when people tell him, thank you for your service. It makes it, sure. un- makes it uncomfortable when people tell them what a big fan he is or when they ask for autographs. It makes him really uncomfortable when he's at the urinal taking a piss and a guy asks for his autograph. That happens. And apparently they put that in there because that's something that's that is... That's good. They need to do that more. They have to do yeah, that more. That's yeah. something that happens to a lot of the uh, guys in Marvel when they're at well, the Well, it happens urinal. to every, every celebrity. And people see him and they're like, hey, man, can I have your autograph? It's like, really not the time so like he's washing his hands and the guy comes up behind him and goes is now a good time (laughs) uh so (laughs) i would like to think that's probably a personal story from jeremy renner that he that he that he had every celebrity has that happen to him but anyway so that puts the two together and without really spoiling like the whole rest of the story um you know it's it's really about the dynamic of the two you got you got Haley steinfeld playing kate bishop and all she wants to do is be a superhero and here she is face to face with her idol even though she's in deep shit with her idol she's face to face with her idol and then she's just like you're training me and he's like i'm not training you and he's like but you are training me he goes no i showed you how to patch a wound and that's about it i'm out of here you know what i mean he's he's a cranky curmudgeon and she is you know the 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 light the you know the bright spot the thing that's going to 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 wake him up because she keeps telling him you know the reason why other superheroes sell merch and you don't it's she's like it's branding you know like you're unapproachable people you're prickly no one likes you and it's like it, it, you can kind of see where she lacks the skills and he can teach her that and he lacks the the, the persona and and, and they're kind of making fun of his skill. character exactly and stuff like that in a lot exactly. of ways too exactly. which is great which is the the, the the best kind of approach to it yeah because it's almost becomes like a dark, a dark uh, comedy satire in yeah. some degree. And it works. And th- one of the nice things about it is, even though we see Kate Bishop fight and stuff like that, she's she can hold her own. Now, let me ask you this. But it's when like, they is get, it become, I'm sorry, is this like a friendship thing or like a father-daughter-esque kind of We're, we're not even, like by the time you're at the end of the second episode, you're not even at that point yet. Okay, got it. Okay. It's, so we'll see. We'll see. It's still like he's trying to keep her at an arm's distance. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. It hasn't even gotten to that point yet. But like what I was saying, was like one of the nice things is while she can hold her own, it's nice when you see her fighting with Hawkeye or fighting next to Hawkeye, and you can see that Clint Barton is miles ahead of her in skill. Mm. So if she's not some Mary Sue, like even though she has this background, she has the black belts, she has the fencing training, and she has the a the, young the archery, work in progress. Yeah, she is not. She is not perfect. You know, she didn't. She does not come out of it. She is not a easy bake, ready made superhero. And, and they're doing. They're. It's like they're doing the work to develop her into that, which is nice. Now, one of the things uh, that that's going on in this in the show is. They are there's MacGuffins that have been set up during that that black market uh, auction that was there. And then there's a murder that that occurs. And Kate is investigating that murder, uh, which that murder is definitely going to be tied into the things that Hawkeye did as Ronan in New York during those five years. Like there's a lot of mobsters who want him dead, but no one knows that Clint Barton was Ronan. 
Ronan was just a mysterious figure. Okay. And right. that is it. So he kind of has to, it's kind of him dealing with the sins of his past while now trying to usher in the future with, with Kate Bishop. Uh, and one of the things that I thought was, was extremely interesting is that Tony Dalton is playing Jack Duquesne. Duquesne. I can't, it's French, but here's the thing. He du- is, Duquesne. he is, <laughs> no, no, no. he is the, he's the sword master. And okay. in the comic books, Swordmaster is I love that title. Is tied in to Hawkeye's origins. He's the one who trained Hawkeye. Mm. And he's a bad guy. Mm. And Hawkeye was originally a bad guy, which is why we have the whole, you know, mind stone turning him bad in the first Avengers movie, because when he first met the Avengers, he was a bad guy. Um, and then he is marrying Vera Farmiga, who is Eleanor Bishop, who is Kate Bishop's mother. Uh, so they're introducing these, they're, they're introducing villains now that we have, we've not seen before, but they're also extremely tied in to Hawkeye and his lore in the comic books. And I think that's cool. Uh, we also get Maya Lopez in the second episode, uh, very briefly, but Maya Lopez is the superhero known as Echo. She's a deaf superhero, and she will be the one that eventually dons the Ronin outfit as her superhero costume. So, uh, look, I'm I'm extremely excited for, for what they have coming from the rest of this because I really enjoyed these first two episodes, man. It's... Uh, there's a ton of like Easter eggs and stuff like that that I could sit here and break down, but I, I like to do all that stuff at the end. I don't like to spoil everything too much, but for anybody who who wasn't so sure on on Hawkeye, if they were on the fence about Hawkeye, um, it's 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 just a fun time, and it's great because it's it's the holiday season, and it's all about Christmas, and Christmas is a backdrop, and for a for a fan of the Matt Fraction Hawkeye comic like I am. It's really cool to see that the that that the uh, opening of the show is very reminiscent of that comic book, and also the very end of the show is uh, the the when the credits are rolling when they show like when they show like art, you know, essentially like uh, concept art and stuff like that. That is also very reminiscent of the Matt Fraction comic. So uh, while it's not a one for one you know remake of that, they are taking a lot of elements from it. And the Tracksuit Bros are are perfect. Like they're absolutely perfect. And if you if you haven't read that comic, the, I I highly suggest the Matt Fraction run of, of Hawkeye. It's fantastic uh, because that's where you finally learn about Lucky the Pizza Dog, and uh, you get Lucky the Pizza Dog here right up front in the first couple episodes too. So. Yeah, I can't wait to check it out. So yeah, I mean, the, by the time the second episode ends, the dynamic is set. Um, the 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 mystery is unraveling, uh, and everything is going ahead of them. It kind of sucks that that's where it ended because I felt like the story was really getting going at that point, and I couldn't wait for the next episode. And that's when they ended it, and I was like, "Well, some bitch, that's why they did that." So. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we were able to get through all that stuff as as quickly as we were because it is uh it is going to be I don't know I don't think this is going to be too long but it might be it might be a little bit long because this is one of my most anticipated movies of the past like five years i would think because i'm such a massive ghostbuster yeah fan. about that but like maybe like four years or so yeah i mean i remember when they when they did the teaser for ghostbusters and it was just that barn door great open, teaser and it was just the 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 canvas flap lifting up ever so slightly until a gust of wind comes and picks it up just enough that you see two-thirds 
of the Ghostbuster symbol on the Ecto one, and then it just said like you know coming soon. But it was like, just, ah! but it was like the cinematography at all. It just felt like the sensibility was back, you know, of, of what it should be. And we're going to discuss that here about about how this film was shot in this review. What are you doing here in Somerville anyway? Honestly, my mom won't say it, but we're completely broke. And the only thing that's left in our name is this creepy old farmhouse our grandfather left us in the middle of nowhere. Why'd you bring me up here? Entertainment value. (laughs) What is that? I don't know. hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. New York in the 80s, it's like The Walking Dead. Your dad never mentioned this to you? It's just my mom. My grandfather died. My mom says we're just here to pick through the rubble of his life. into your impressions before we get into my impressions on the movie let's talk about this thing that's been going on with movies this year movies that are getting pretty poor critical scores but really high audience scores eternals Um, and now ghostbusters you know they, they they get they're not getting any type of critical praise but fans are seeming to like them and it it turns out it doesn't matter same thing with venom also venom you know audience likes it critics not so much Right. I I still struggle with that. I mean, I don't know. It, it happens from time to time. In some projects, you can expect that to happen. Um, I think it was kind of warranted. I mean, I, I, you know, I understand the... Here's the, major- Here's the majority I mean, of their... Com- the with majority- this movie in particular, I'm surprised. Well, here's the majority of their complaint. Critics are complaining that this movie isn't a movie. It is a remake or a reboot, which is still a movie uh, and still has a plot, but it's that it relies too much on the nostalgia of the original, which I disagree. I, I, you know, I understand there's a lot of gags in this movie that are that that are that are hearkening back to the original. I understand that there's there's a lot of love being paved throughout this entire film for the original, and the film is made by the original director's son. It was written by his son, a kid who literally grew up on the set of Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so and apparently his father was was very much involved with this project. I mean, as so was just Dan like Aykroyd. A, Dan Aykroyd was handed the script, and he and he he's, this is it. This is this yeah, is perfect. An, an uncredited just advisor, you yeah. know, helping out along the way to try to make sure this is well. His done his, right. his dad also runs Ghost Corp, which is the company mm-hmm. that is you know part of the production sure but one of the producers of the movie but anyway um it's 
it just really bothers me that I went into this movie and I was like, what is wrong with it? Is it a perfect movie? No. You know, does it rely on that stuff maybe a little bit too much at times? Is it corny and cheesy at times? Okay, for sure. Does it warrant? No, but that's what fucking Ghostbusters is. When, I know. It, when it does go. No, stop defending that. Don't say that because I didn't get that at all. And this is coming from oh, no. somebody who's not a Ghostbusters. Oh, like, no. It, not- it, Jay, it is cheesy. There, there is moments where, where it's cheesy. The oh. kid, the character of podcast is fucking cheesy. Okay. I don't like that kid. All right. I didn't like that well, kid. Well, I, I get that. I found him endearing and adorable. He's a friend, though. But it's if, a foil. It's, if he it's, got but, eviscerated by a by a bunch of little Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, I would have been like, huh. okay. <laughs> Someone had to go, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, <laughs> I don't understand the, the dislike from critics because everyone I know who's seen it, and I've asked them, people have asked me, like, when the, I saw it on opening night. People asked me, like, what did you think? And I was like... I don't even want to tell you because I feel like I might have the complete different opinion from everybody else, but I loved it. And, and, and that's it. Like I loved it. I had a great time with it. It's a return to form. Yeah. I did. I think it was a little slow in the beginning kind of, but it was really, really good setup. It was great setup. I I thought that was my favorite part of it. Yeah. It's, it, it it does. First half of the movie was my favorite part. It does a great job of just, of, of, of setting up the whole story. And if you were, you know, I won't spoil it by saying who it is, but if you were wondering if these were the grandkids of which Ghostbuster, it's Winston, by the way, <laughs> they're Winston's grandkids. I was born a poor black child. Adopted. And, and, okay. and, and but speaking the, of which, McKenna gets, Grace played the lead yeah. girl. But that gets put the rest in the first 30 seconds of this movie. You know exactly which Ghostbuster it is oh. in that prologue that they show. Well, not even just that. You could just see the casting. McKenna Grace as her character. Right. Her look. Looks it, like that looks character. exactly like him. But uh, yeah, she was absolutely phenomenal. And she's she's been great in everything. She's she did that movie with Chris with uh, Chris Evans. Gifted, yeah. Where where she was the incredibly gifted I, girl. Tanya playing Tanya, yep. Handmaid's Tale. She is going to be a huge star one day. Even guys. on Netflix, Trust she me. plays the young the younger version of Sabrina, and she knocks it out of the park she's, in that. She's, I, I don't understand how, but she's just phenomenal. She just has some kind of she's the modern day Fanning gravitas. Yes, thank you. I think she is. I think she is. Doesn't work as much, but. Or the modern day, the or the modern day Kirsten Dunst, or the modern all day you know, Natalie Portman. You know, these are all young actresses who so it. great in this movie, and I really enjoyed it. And I, she was awesome. I, I was all behind her. She was awesome. Uh, they they also like to set up the fact that she's not funny, and then she goes on to say the lamest jokes, which wind up being fucking hilarious. Funny. <laughs> so it's just a, it's just a deadpan d- yeah. delivery. Yeah. Uh, There's and, a good chance I might actually revisit this in theaters, to be honest. And Paul Rudd being in it, I was. I was I was kind of like apprehensive when I saw him uh, originally because like look I love Paul Rudd and that's the thing like is this movie gonna make me just rely on the fact that I love Paul Rudd or are they are they gonna make me love his character or is it gonna be well written right delivered and they made me love his character because guess what he was Lewis Tully <laughs> yeah and and, 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 there, and, and there wasn't too much of him either no you know it was no. just the right amount. No, look, I I think the characterizations were were all fantastic. Um, I do think you're right, Jay. I know that that the setup for this movie was was done extremely well. I do think Finn Wolfhard's character gets lost in the shuffle. It does a little bit. It does, but. I I don't think the story was really about him to begin no, with. No, it doesn't follow him. He's a no. support. He's a supporting role yeah. within this. Uh and but but the mother, she really comes to the forefront. Carrie towards Coon, the, played by Carrie Coon. Yeah, yep. To towards towards the end of the film and stuff like that. Um, but 
look, man. She was also um, out of focus, I, I would say, written. I mean, she had a broad canvas stereotype She was just, role, she's there in the beginning to fine, be the yeah. but it, it, it never quite dialed in. She's there in the beginning to be a foil to her daughter and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, it, it eventually, you know, obviously families mend and come full circle and stuff like that throughout the film. Uh, again, this is a family film. So was Ghostbusters. You know, I you know I sure. think I think a lot of people are like, and it is PG thirteen. Everybody, two hour movie. I have Take seen family. I have seen people complain that the humor is not like the original Ghostbusters, and it's like I don't. I'm not sure if the original Ghostbusters humor works. It's nineteen eighty four. I know. Shut the fuck up. It's completely. That's that. That was literally thirty seven years ago. That's how, that, that was when I was born. I, I was born in eighty four. <laughs> so I I can see like where where people are like it's just not like the original. But that's a lot of the complaints that I'm hearing from critics. Or were the same shit that people were complaining about in the 2016 Ghostbusters, and now it makes me wonder: like, was the 2016 Ghostbusters that bad? Or it was, or did people just not get what they wanted? Both. <laughs> Both. I did not like it at all. But look, this movie was made for fans. It caters to nostalgia for sure, but it is done in the best fucking way. It is done in the most reverent way, I would say. It doesn't. It doesn't overstep it, its bounds, and but it also does. It takes the sheen fair, away yeah. of what the previous movie did, where it, it took you out of it, where it was just kind of corny, yeah. and 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 you didn't. And if you're a go big, with the flow, if you're a big Ghostbusters fan, there. Is like this movie is just a love letter to you. There sure. are tons of little hints, Easter eggs, oh, there is. lines that are dropped, surprise appearances Surpri- in right. the movie. Yeah. Things that things that go on sometimes even in the background that harkens back to something that happened in the originals. And like Jay might not pick it up, but when we do our Easter eggs, I picked it up. I'll talk about it there. Uh and then of course you just fall in love with these kids, you know, I think is is really what sells the movie. You fall in love with these kids and you fall in you, the adventure. It's it's a la it. stranger things it's in, the adventure. in some ways. But you know, I I will say that a lot like The Force Awakens, where that was something that was very nostalgic and played into play, played into a new hope almost beat for beat. This this does play very heavily into the original Ghostbusters. I mean, practically Ghostbusters Two is completely ignored uh, fr- from the from a lore standpoint. But I mean, there there is a saying that gets said throughout the movie, like that the, the uh, you know the seas will boil, the sky will turn black, and stuff like that. And that is just a line that was said between Ray and Winston in the Ecto-1 heading into the third act of the original Ghostbusters, and it winds up being the entire crux of this movie, this this passage from Revelations that was just a, a two-minute scene that happened in the original movie that really didn't seem like it meant all that much. They now make it mean so much more here um, because, because of, uh, of what's going on, and there's not a whole lot more we can say without spoiling it, uh, but I will say this: the score was fantastic. It did a great job of of I think like li- modernizing it up, livening it up, while also still having those echoes of the original score throughout its th- throughout. And then, of course, one of the things that I really, really liked, um, and I was talking to Jay about this, is the way Jason Reitman shot 
some of the stuff getting used. Like the way when when she first uses a proton pack, the way like the wind is blowing back her hair. If you go back and watch 84 Ghostbusters when they first used the proton packs in the Sedgwick Hotel, you see like Egon's hair, like his head shaking yeah, yeah, and his yeah. hair's bouncing up and yeah. down and it's blowing and it's blowing the, the, the power and the yeah, force. The, yeah. the power, the force. Uh you know, the, the way that stuff is shot is is fantastic. Like every anytime someone's wearing a proton pack, it feels action packed. And just the way they they take this old uh, I, mean, I need the more gunner seat action though. I love this so much. The, uh, well, th- that's what I'm getting into. The way they take the Ecto one, this old ass Cadillac hearse, and it, it it is not a hero's car, right? It never was. That was part of the joke of it. Is sure. it's not a hero's car. He shoots this thing in action like it's the fucking Batmobile. Dutch yeah. angles, you know, down low, it's screaming into the scene. You know, it's, you see the tires skidding. skidding. Yeah, it's skidding yeah. right into the camera. You know? Yeah, and yeah. you know, it, it's it's he treats the the Ecto one like it's the fucking Batmobile. That's the way it's shot. It's a fucking hero shot mm-hmm. every time that thing is mm-hmm. on, and I fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. The only thing that that I, I wanted a little bit more. I, I must w- say, well, I must say, because I just loved it too much. Um, I didn't get the siren. There was like once where they played. I the, know. I love that siren. I love it. I love the way it sounds. It's so good. And, and and but in the trailer they had the siren playing as they're going through the town. But in the actual movie, the siren is not blaring. They do not turn the siren. And on. they cut that one shot slightly shorter than they did in yes. the trailer, which Where it's I was rounding. Yes, and I was super pissed off about and you, that. And you get the logo coming straight up too. I, I was just like at the Central Hotel. I don't understand why they did that. That makes no sense to me at all. Maybe they thought it was too gratuitous of a of a of a uh, callback. Bad choice. Yeah, bad choice. but I mean, believe me, there's you are not for loss for feeling nostalgic while watching this movie. And if you're if you're even just like a cursory fan of Ghostbusters, it's worth your time. Even if you're not a fan of Ghostbusters, I think it's I think it's worth your worth your time. I I don't suggest that as someone who's never seen Ghostbusters goes and watches this though. I think like watch the other the, the the first one at least before seeing this. So if you're Dylan and you've never seen Ghostbusters, um, I've already told him this. I don't want you to watch Ghostbusters now because I, I feel like it's been oversold at this point. So if Dylan goes and watches Ghostbusters and doesn't like it, I don't know. I don't know if he'd you watch mean the this first like original it. one. He's never seen the original one. Yeah, but you're telling him not to watch the original one. I don't want him to ever watch any Ghostbusters ever. <laughs> He's watched movies that I've loved and then reported yeah. back and being like, eh, I don't uh, understand what the hype's all about. <laughs> you know what I mean? So do you have any negatives? Uh, yes. Now, I, is that a spoiler section? It is a spoiler section. Okay. I will say this. It, 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 is, the, it, it is the final fight. Um, well, that's what I'm going to say. My issues with this is the final act, right? And it, it reflects my mis- grade, which, you know. The mysterious way that, um, that, you know, there's. Well, we'll get into it. Yeah. I'll just say this. It's a deus ex machina that's at the end. Was it necessary to complete this nostalgic roller coaster we were on? Yes. Could it have been done in a little bit less of a, of, of a slapstick way where it was just kind of like, boom, it's here. And I think we all I think we all knew that this was coming. And it's like, yes, absolutely. I knew it was coming. I just felt like the setup for it was just pretty, uh, pretty lackluster. It was just pretty, pretty much just like, and there it is. The reveal that you've been waiting for, and it's there, and it ends abruptly, and, and it ends and very not, abruptly, not, not, not um, wanting more of a right. satisfaction. However, the, the post-credit scenes were fucking fantastic. Mm. Loved them. So, 
Uh, Jay, yeah, man, let's get in. Well, um, first, my grade is a B plus. Oh, I'll yeah, say forgot. that first. Yeah. Um, solid B plus for me. All right, and I am slightly higher. I am at an A minus for this movie. I look, I loved it. I didn't think there was any doubt that I was going to love it. I'm sure there's there's more negatives that people may have. I think I was just you're a cloud nine, man. Yeah, this I was taking your shit. I, I mean, was taking. I'm looking in around it. this room. I mean, there's a lot of Ghostbusters memorabilia around. I mean, exactly. I, 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 I mean, I know this about you. It's but up on the wall. It's all over the place. Yeah. So, all right, Jay, let's get ourselves in to the spoiler section for Ghostbusters Afterlife. I feel like that's an appropriate uh, spoiler sound. Yeah. <laughs> for th- this time around. That fits. So, I mean, just let's just kick it off. Uh, first things, foist things foist. Uh, they are the grandkids of Egon Spangler, which I think is what we all we all pretty much figured out uh, from yes. from the trailers and stuff. They're the grandkids of Egon Spangler. They've fallen on some hard times with their mom, and they ha- are getting evicted. And lo and behold, her father Egon has now mysteriously passed away, and she is going to inherit his dirt farm. <laughs> and the dirt farm. They move out to Oklahoma to to where Egon spent his last days. Uh, and Egon didn't die of the natural causes that everyone thinks he died of. He died attempting to trap one of the spirits that in that well actually the demonic spirit that inhabited Dana Barrett. Mm. Uh, because Zul can only rise when the gatekeeper and the keymaster have copulated and open the gateway for Zul to come through. Now, there's a ton of cameos in this movie. Zul, Jay, you're, you're the one to tell me. It's, a, it's Olivia Wilde. It is Olivia Wilde. It's not on IMDb, but it's confirmed that it's her. Yes. Looks exactly like her. It, it is, yeah. And Ivo Shandor, uh, who's the guy who pretty much owned this entire town of Somerville, or uh, he is J.K. Simmons. Very briefly. Very briefly. Movie, but he's yeah. in it. He's in it. He's in it. It's J.K. Simmons. I'm a mess! anyway (laughs) so the cameos are fun uh but so egon is attempting to capture the gatekeeper and unfortunately when when doing so um his his massive plan that he had fails and he instead of being possessed by the gatekeeper he is murdered by the gatekeeper in his chair we see the you know we see the hands rip out of the of the recliner much like they did to dana barrett and they choke the life out of him, and they say that he has had a heart attack. So his family then goes out there to kind of pick up the pieces of his life. And one of my favorite things is when they first go in to the house, there's a stack of books in the living room from floor to ceiling, which is exactly like the original Ghostbusters in the library. It's like, look at the way these books are stacked. Yes, because no normal human would stack books like that. Mm-hmm. Apparently, ghosts stack books. And Egon, just st- as a spirit, stacked those books. And we start. he starts interacting with the family in the ways that he can as a spirit. And he starts off with his granddaughter uh, essentially playing chess with her. Little by little, getting them comfortable to the idea that ghosts exist. And he leads her to the trap, to the ghost trap that he's hidden into the floor, which causes her to take it to her summer school teacher, who is played by Paul Rudd, who I was very worried in this movie that he was going to put on a jumpsuit and be one of them. Oh, I was very worried. So you thought they were going to fall into like a Hollywood trap of like, yeah, 
I got I got you I got you. No, I'm 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 really happy with how they very. Happy. I, I was surprised to turn like the convert. I, I guess it makes sense. The mom, the mom becomes Paul, the gatekeeper. He be Paul Paul Rudd becomes and, and the is, key master. Is right. They go out to the desert. Correct, they correct. copulate much like Lewis Tully it, and it, Dana Barrett did. It, it, it all makes sense. It all falls into place right. as far as the original opening up for Zool like to come and, through. And it's all well and good. I yeah. get it. I didn't. I I still you know the aesthetic of it all watching it I didn't like you know it's not it takes me out of it a little bit it's like oh, I know where this is going now oh, right I, I already know the whole rest of the movie because it's Zool and it is it's 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 it's, this, it's just so fucking predictable and that was the worst part about it because as soon as you well, saw the development of it that's a lot of the the critics complaints is that it is beat for beat the original well the last forty five minutes right well I mean but but just the last that, that's why everyone's comparing it to the Force Awakens is because that was you could you knew what was going to happen in that in that movie based on what happened in a new hope and just like you know what happened in 84 ghostbusters you know what's going to happen here but that's me and you who know that that's the critics who know that that's the older fans who know that my daughter isn't going to remember that she's just going to see a little girl with a proton pack in a gunner seat fucking shooting oh i know i know shooting at the caterpillar from from, from alice in wonderland who instead of smoking a pipe i, I hear you eats, I mean, it's not gonna change metal. my grade but like, no yeah but <laughs> you know i understand what, what you're saying but what i'm saying is the younger fans th- th- this is all going over their head they're just enjoying what's there sure. and you gotta remember sure. it is made for it it is mainly made for kids and sony wants to get new fans involved with this franchise so they can continue making them much oh, like well, disney of course wanted to get new you? fans I mean, and they, they casted the great yeah. bunch of kids the the you but, know but just like ho- hopefully take the keys and run with it just like with the force awakens and guess they, what buddy you might get a sequel because this no they're definitely doing killing a in the box office but just like the force awakens disney wanted to get new fans into star wars it's mm. it, it is the same thing yeah and there's nothing wrong with it i mean how else are you supposed to get new fans are you just supposed to because if this was completely different and didn't have it echoes of the original one and everyone would have cried foul they would have been like, this isn't Ghostbusters. You just gave kids proton packs and called it Ghostbusters. Right. So I think they did the best they could with with, with what they had. And if critics say it sucks and audiences love it, then fuck it. Sony wins. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Fuck it. They win. Because it doesn't matter what, what any critics say. It just matters that. And apparently they keep winning even with mostly shitty content <laughs> like Venom. But like, you know, yep. I still stand behind uh, the critics with that. It's garbage. But. So this leads them to this leads the kids uh, down a path of discovering the the rest of the Ghostbusters loot mm-hmm. that is there on the farm, the proton packs. So the spirit leads Phoebe down underneath the barn where his lab was, and if you look on the back wall, Jay, you see a collection of spores, mold, and fungus. Who <laughs> when when asked when Egon was asked, do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. <laughs> so there he was keeping his hobby alive even perfect in his old Easter egg age, right? right there he, he's, he's collecting spores mold and fungus uh, so I loved like little things like that she learns to repair the proton pack and of course while she's doing that Finn Wolfhard is desperate for some wheels, desperate for some freedom in this. Oh, he's desperate for some pussy. That's in this, really right, in for. this one horse fucking town. And one of the things that I thought was really cool was if you look oh. around the farm, there's a whole bunch of rotted out Cadillacs that Egon yes. was using for parts to keep yeah. the Ecto One alive. Yeah, yeah. So, so because I saw one criticism was people were like, "How did this kid know how to fix this and stuff like that?" If you look. There are schematics and stuff and and handwritten notes for how to repair the Ecto-1. 
and all the parts are there around and that's that Egon has that stuff like all mm. written out so it makes sense that I mean he's not a genius like Phoebe is but sure. kids built built but you Lego. never know he could be a car guy R- kids built Legos or, or, or has built a Lego or two you know what I'm saying he yeah. knows how to follow instructions <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's not too far-fetched that he got this thing up and running uh, but that you know that that then leads uh, Phoebe to bringing this to her to her to her teacher who tells her all about the Ghostbusters who her grandfather was she sees all these degrees of uh, 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 you know on his wall from from all the certifications that he has and all the doctorates that he has and he here, her grandfather, who she's never met, who she's been kept from her entire life, is a kindred spirit to her. They are so alike. They're both social outcasts. They were awkward, but they were academics and they cared about the science of mm-hmm. it all. Everything. How what whatever makes whatever work, they cared about it. And here's this person who is very much like her, and she never got to meet him. And she feels yeah. cheated. And that's one of the things that I really liked between her and the mother is she feels like not only has she lost out on a father because he's a deadbeat, she's lost out on the grandfather that probably would have been the greatest influence on her life. And, yeah. and now yeah. this movie is is that, is how Egon is influencing her life mm-hmm. and, and allowing her to grow as a person uh, throughout it. So I, I dug that part of the story. Big time. I thought that was great. Big time. No, it, it, was, a, it was a beautiful gel of that. Uh, dynamic because it was a challenge thing a very challenging thing for them to write i would assume and for it to make sense without the whole story with that thread line and it worked here's what i want to know is you write this script and how are you i how are you you know jason reitman and ivan reitman how do you go to the ramus family and hand them this script because i i gotta think they handed them the script and said read it and let us know if you're okay yeah well, they didn't write this movie, so it, Jason Reitman definitely wrote this movie. Uh, yeah, he was one of the writers with Gil yeah. uh, Kenham. That is true. Yeah. That is true. And characters by Dan Aykroyd, uh, yep. Harold Ramis, and yep. Ivan Reitman. So, but you know, they had to take this script to the to the Ramis family and say, like, read it. Just let us know if it's a go. Sure. I got. I got to think that's the way they had to do it, right? Because like, is it uh, after getting Ackroyd's permission, after getting Ivan Reitman's permission, after Sony says we'll do it, you know, someone had to say like the Ramis family needs to know, w- like what we plan on doing, and we're what we'll get to that. So uh, this, uh, of course, Paul Rudd happens to be a seismologist. There's these earthquakes that we're talking about. Finn Wolfhard goes to get some punani out by the old Shandor mine, where mm. we find out they were mining this special metal that turns out it's a great superconductor, but not great in building high rises. But also, it's a superconductor for malevolent energy and spirit energy and stuff like that. And why were they mining all this? Oh, it was to build some buildings out in uh, some apartment building out in New York. <laughs> Which, of course, is echoing back to 84. Uh, so they, they, they go out to, to the mine, and this leads them to figure out that underneath this mine, in this mine, Ivo Shandor has essentially built a shrine to Zul, or at least a shrine to Zul has existed there. And it is now that, that the teacher and Phoebe have released the gatekeeper from her trap. It is... Um, it's now it's now returned to to the Zul shrine and has awakened the gatekeeper and now they are all out and yeah. out about in the town. Um, you know we find out that the that the ground was shaking not because 
the uh of of that thing being there but it was because this well of spirits was welling up and egon had set up essentially like a proton pack i don't know what you would say he essentially crossed the streams every every uh, several times a day to keep this well of souls at bay he has four proton packs set up to fire when the well gets to a certain point Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. about to essentially erupt with with spirit energy just like the containment unit did in 84 um and, but the, the crossing the streams and hitting it keeps it down. So now fast forward, yada, yada, yada. One of the ghosts has escaped. The kids are learning to uh, to to use the proton pack. Phoebe's learning to use the proton pack. She comes across one of those ghosts, which uh, is now re- wreaking havoc on the town. She gets picked up by Finn Wolfhard, who just got the Ecto-1 working. And they go and take down the ghost in, in the town. Causing massive amounts of damage, <laughs> as, naturally, as a first time out Ghostbuster does. Yeah, that's what you did. The Cedric Hotel they caused thousands of dollars worth, of, probably half a million dollars worth of damage. Then had the audacity to charge them five thousand dollars. <laughs> On top of that, <laughs> that's 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 what the ki- that's what Phoebe should have done to the sheriff. She should have sent him an invoice for catching the ghost. <laughs> then she would have been the true entrepreneur that uh-huh. uh, that Pete Venkman always wanted the Ghostbusters to be. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> she gets arrested, and instead of reaching out to her mother, who's only going to chastise her, she decides to reach out to the the number that she saw on the YouTube videos once she learned who her grandfather was. She watched a bunch of Ghostbusters content. She came across that first commercial, we're ready to believe you, and she calls up the number, which leads her to Ray's occult books, and she speaks to Ray, who gives her kind of like the rundown that Egon Spangler was a piece of human garbage who essentially abandoned his friends, destroyed their entire business and his way of life and left him in shambles. Yeah, that was kind of uh, surprising. It was surprising, and I'm not sure if it was set up or warranted in the right way. You know what I mean? That was one of those things where I was like... That doesn't oh. that almost doesn't sound like Egon's character. Correct. And that was the one of the also one of the, my main drawbacks of this film because it didn't it didn't fit in my mind. No, but also what the the stuff that they're referring to is 10 years after 89 Ghostbusters. After Ghostbusters. Yeah, too. but they never explained why he feels that way either. I know. And I think that's the, the type of stuff that I thought they were going to get into a little bit, but didn't. Not at all. Um, because like after this, she gets out of prison. Uh, they get out of jail and stuff like that. They now know what's causing the eruptions. They want to go stop it. But the gatekeeper and, and the key master are out. And Paul Rudd goes to Walmart after his date with their mother. And this is where... The little Stay Puff, the Marshmallow Man, rise. And <laughs> it's just as glorious as it was in the preview. You get a few extended gags and stuff. It's truly <laughs> horrific, but also funny. They reminded me They reminded me of the Gremlins. It sure. was, it oh, was, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great. Yeah. And then, of course, he gets possessed by, by the dog. Like, the second the dog busts out of the Walmart yeah. doors, I, I, I looked at my wife. I, was, I whispered to her, okay, who brought the dog? <laughs> The way Lewis always said it in the original. And he gets possessed. The mother is now possessed. And the kids have to go essentially fight Zool. They lead Zool back to the farm for her to fall into the same trap that that Egon had set up for her. And when she's about to spring the trap, it doesn't work, just like it didn't work for Egon. She gets she essentially gets beaten to the ground. Uh Zool is about to win. She's the only one with a working proton pack. No one else can stop Zool. And then, of course, three people show up to come to their aid. And it's, of course, Pete Venkman, 
Ray Stance and Winston Zedmore. And uh, based on that one phone call that she had with them several days prior, they decided to go out to Oklahoma. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, you got all that from that conversation? I didn't. I needed, like, some sort of follow-up. Like, for just just a follow-up with Ray reaching out to, like, Pete and just being like, can you believe, like, this is what I just heard. You know what I mean? At least something to where I can believe that 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 one phone call would have caused them to to get up and go to Oklahoma. I I agree. However, I think it was one of those situations. Also, where how did they, they get knew, the? Well, no, 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 no. First off, that phone has never been rang for quite some time. That's obviously. true. Okay, so it's and then important. also on top of that, he did know that that was the granddaughter, so he believed I at the very least there was enough credit for them to go back there. Fair that's enough. that's what I. That was the only things that I, I made sense to me. You're filling like, okay, the gap. I get it. You're filling the gaps in the story for yourself to make it make sense, but it doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Also, that phone it does ring because that is just the phone that's in Rhea Colt's books. It's actually the phone he answers in '89 when he says, "Like, I uh, yeah, uh, weekdays till seven, you know, weekends till midnight," and he hangs up. It's in '89 Ghostbusters. So that red phone isn't like a special bat phone or anything like that. It's not the Ghostbusters phone. It's not the who you gonna call phone. It's just a regular phone. Uh, <laughs> but I the, the, another thing, how post 9/11, how do you get proton packs on a commercial flight? They had to fly private. When, oh, Winston's don't ri- even start going that way. Winston's rich, so you, you have to assume oh. they flew private. <laughs> that, that's how they got The there. fact that you're going that far is, wow. Jay, you, can't, you can't go on a commercial flight with an, with an uh, unlicensed nuclear accelerator on your back. I'm just saying, you can't do it. <laughs> God bless. I do. I, I, there is a short film in there where they do try to get through uh, TSA. And it's like, what are you guys supposed to be? Some sort of half-assed cosmonauts? <laughs> no. <laughs> Someone saw a massive cockroach out in uh, Oklahoma. Must be some cockroach. Bite your head off, man. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, so they show up. Uh, they, of course, cross the streams. It's not enough, though. They get blasted back and are on the ground. And, of course, Jay, Ray gets asked the ultimate question. Are you a god? Yes. He says yes. So much to much to uh, you know Winston's glee, he said yes, <laughs> and uh, of course they still can't beat Zool. Uh, so Phoebe is back on her feet. She strikes up the proton pack. All four ghosts, but all the three other Ghostbusters strike up their proton packs, and that's when Egon appears. His his spirit completely projects to them, and he's not just. He's not just uh, you know there. He's holding the 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 proton wand right along with Phoebe, aiming it at the flat top. And of course, they cross the streams. Zippity zoppity zoop. They're now able to to get Egon's trap to work, and they trap all the spirits in the entire town, and everything is closed up. Now, the thing that I wonder at the end of this, Jay, how do they clear all these traps? There is no containment unit anymore. I have to assume Winston brought them all back with him. It could be a part of the sequel. Yeah, because now now Winston it seems to be the owner, CEO, and uh, looks like entre- uh, how would I say it? Like financier of the Ghostbusters. It, it seems like, and in this end credit scene with mid credit scene with him and Ann Potts, that he is he he plans on reviving the Ghostbusters. It was the best time of his life, and I like that they did that with him with his character because. 
in the Ghostbusters, he, his character's been the one that's gotten the shaft. He had a much bigger part in the original one. They cut it down for time reasons. He wound up just essentially being a jobber, a guy who came in just to work for them. He, yeah. he didn't have a whole lot of lines in the original one. They gave him a little bit more to do in the second one, but not a whole lot. In the video game, they really gave him his dues. He's a guy who was going for his doctorate in uh, in archaeology and stuff like that. So so I feel like he got his dues. And in this, they're telling us that he is he's a successful businessman. He he took he, he he after the Ghostbusters he took what he learned about business went to business school and built this massive empire from the ground up which I which I absolutely love so they're giving his character more to do and now they're they're gonna lynch they're, they're, Jesus I can't say that about a black man they're <laughs> they're going to hinge everything else on his character so uh, <laughs> I, I I look forward to that and of course we get the end credit scene the 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 post credit scene where Venkman is sitting down with Sigourney Weaver. And I'm assuming that they are still in a committed relationship, it seems like. And they she is playing his old his old parapsychology uh test that that he did with his students and she is shocking him. And he reveals that he only ever shocked the guys. <laughs> so uh look, I, I really 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 enjoyed this movie. Lot lot of Easter eggs. And Jay, I want to know, did you tear up when Howard Ramis showed up? No. Oh, I did. I, I teared up. Did did you think that the uh, CGI looked good for his character, um, or was there? No, like it did. A, no, it did. I think yeah. it did. I think. No, I, think that did. I think having that blue hue really helped with the. Oh, uncan- of course, it makes it so much easier with the uncanny valley so and stuff easier. like that. You know, it, 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 I I didn't feel like it took me out too much, uh, but that's you know seeing Egon show up. That's when I was like, is this uh, was this approved by by Howard Ramis's family? <laughs> Like, like, are, are they going to watch this movie and be like, "Dad, Dad's on screen"? <laughs> Dad, like, I mean, you have to pay his his. Uh, I assume you have to pay his uh, his estate because he he's in this movie wholesale. He doesn't have a line, but he's in this movie. No, they did. But it's a very I I heard about it's that. a very E. T. type ending. You know, it's a very like I'll be right here, and he he, he just fucks off disappears i guess uh he passes over you know everything that that he wanted to accomplish has been accomplished zul is finally vanquished for good um you know no more no i'm not not, not sorry zul uh gozer gozer is has been has been vanquished once and for all for for good uh shandor mine is is closed down the town is clean and uh, everything's getting moved back to New York. You know, the Ecto One is driven back to New York, and the kids presumably will go on to live normal lives. However, I don't know if Phoebe can ever be normal again after operating a proton pack. I think, like, once you have that type of power at your fingertips, how do you ever? How do you ever go back to just science class, boring science class? Well. She'll figure something yeah. out. Yeah. Well, I mean, we probably got a good three or four years where they come out with another one. Lots of new projects for her to explore so, and get into. So she'll she'll be a much older, uh, you know, she'll be a much older um, actress at the time that she's doing it, so they can age the character up and stuff like that. So we'll see. I think it's perfect timing. I think yeah. it's a great tee up for college the future. Years. Yeah, she'll be in college. You know, college age or no high school no, age. No, no. She'll be in high school. She'll be in high school. It depends. Three or four years. She looks super young right now. Like super young. I, I I don't I don't know how old this actress is. I I don't know either. But she looks. But very if young. Hollywood has taught me anything, if you're playing eleven, you're actually sixteen. If you're playing sixteen, then you're thirty two. Exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> 
<laughs> but man, uh, yeah, I did tear up. And one of the things that I was really worried about going into this movie was, were those little Stay Puff, the Marshmallow Men, were, were the mini Marshmallow Men, were they going to be like this, like Porgs were in 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 The Last Jedi? Are they going to infect the screen? Are they always going to be around? Are they going to be like this constant annoyance and reminder to buy merch and stuff like that? Like, aren't these things cute? Buy one. Go to Hot Topic. Buy one now. Buy a plushie. We had them on sale. Sony.com. Uh, no, they were used in that scene, and then they showed up again very briefly. They were not overused, and I was really worried that the, that the little yeah. Marshmallow Man were going to be something that became overused. No, no, no. I was really happy about that, too. It was yeah. just a fun little scene. There's, there's a lot of things that this movie could have done gratuitously, and I think they... They took a step back, you know? They could have gratuitously mentioned things that happened before, but I think they did it in a very in a very slight wink and nod type way and then moved on with their own story. So I gotta I gotta give it I gotta give it to Jason Raymond for that, man. I I enjoyed this. I can't wait to see it again. I can't wait to take my daughter to see it. Um I think that's like the I, I think that's the ultimate experience in watching this movie. It certainly is. You know, just like I said with the with the Star Wars sequel trilogy and stuff like that, you love it or hate it. Uh, a lot of kids really liked it. And a lot of kids became Star Wars fans because of it, including my daughter. Like after I saw The Force Awakens, I couldn't wait for my daughter to see a woman holding a lightsaber fighting a bad guy. And and the same thing here. I know she's gonna love Phoebe because my daughter is massively into science. Like she 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 especially the planets. Like she's really into astronomy and stuff like that. Not astrology. She doesn't care that Jay is a. I'm a Pisces. A Pisces. Okay. Well, she'll she, she'll she'll find out and she'll love about me because Pisces is the best. No. And then uh... no, no one cares about that stuff. And anyone who does, I stay away from them. If they tell me like, oh, spoken like a true Leo, I'll be like, all right, just get the fuck away from me. If if you think because I was born under a certain star that that affects my behavior, yeah. you need to you need you need to get those the the way they describe those. However, I am oddly accurate to my. Uh... <laughs> It's because those things, Jay, are so are written out to be so vague that almost anyone's personality can can fit into it. I swear. No, I know, I know, I know. I had to do it. I had to do it. I'm sure you can read other. I'm sure you can. Don't worry, I don't follow that shit. All right, Jay. Jay's got to go. You're right. Your daughter is very much like that. She's one of my favorite things about her is you could tell, you could tell. She is a very, very smart girl. Yeah. It's just, you know, she's going to find her way eventually. So I wonder. Whatever it may get into it, she's going to be great. She's going to be all about something. I want her to awesome. see to see uh, Phoebe holding an unlicensed, uh, an, un, an unlicensed <laughs> nuclear accelerator on her back and be like, I want to do that someday. Yeah. Well, don't be bitching at her when she steals your car and just yeah. like fucking <laughs> shit, shit, whatever. She's, oh, yeah, which she could very well do. But the I, nice, I can see that as well. But the nice part is both me and her, we can go watch this movie and we both have proton packs so we can both come home and then play Ghostbusters at home too. And, that, and that'd yeah, be fun. Exactly. That'd be exactly. Fun. So that's gonna do it for Super Movie Bros this week. Look, a little bit long. Um, I, I, I know, I know, we did like the full breakdown and stuff like that for for Ghostbusters Afterlife, but there was just so many of those like little things that like I really, really enjoyed. That like I thought like I, I wanted to just spotlight, especially. I don't know why, but I really got a kick out of the spores, mold, and fungus in the lab, where I was just like. <laughs> 
Yeah, I can't wait to He's see a collector. that next time. He's a collector. So if you'd like to reach out to us uh, and discuss anything that we talked about on this episode, you can reach out to us on the hotline that is in the description. Uh, also, uh, I'm sorry, the number is in the description. And then, of course, you can reach out to us on our social medias, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, and also, uh, Jay has his own Instagram and everything like that. I put all that stuff in the description. Just go to this episode description. You can click the links. You can reach out to us there. I want to thank all of you guys for listening. Have a great one. Cheers. Cheers. Aim for the flat top. Mm-hmm.